It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Coronapod. In this show, we're going to bring you nature's take on the latest COVID-19 developments. And we'll be speaking to experts around the world about research during the pandemic. We're entering a new era now. We have new COVID strategies. There's some new unknowns and we've got a vaccine. Hello and welcome to Coronapod. I'm Noah Baker and joining me this week is nature's resident Omicron boffin reporter Ewan Calloway. Hi Ewan. Hi there. So I've been putting off talking about Omicron on Coronapod for a few weeks now and there's a whole host of reasons for that. In part it's because the story has been moving very quickly and we knew that whatever we said would likely be out of date very quickly but also it's because for the first few weeks there are a lot of things that we don't really know. I think we were really keen to focus on things that we did know rather than things that we were kind of just speculating on. Now, full disclosure, we're still not really in a place where we know all the answers to the kinds of questions we're going to talk about on this show, but we'll get to those as well as getting to some of the questions that you've been sending in as well. I should also say before we get going that I was hoping Heidi Ledford would also be joining us, but unfortunately we've had a little bit of a last minute reshuffle, but never fear, Ewan has steady hands. And to start off with, Ewan, take the temperature for me. Where are we at the moment with Omicron? (laughs) That's a tough question. I mean, I think it's clear that this is the next big variant of concern, like Delta before it, and Alpha and some other variants before it. You know, Omicron is spreading incredibly rapidly, having first been identified uh, by researchers in Botswana and South Africa, which does not at all mean that's where the variant's from. Um, Those are just the countries that were doing the sequencing. Yeah, and so it's it's taking off worldwide. You know, the countries that aren't finding Omicron probably aren't looking for it. And the countries that are looking for it are finding it and finding that it's growing uh, an explosive rate at rates we've not seen before since the, the start of the pandemic. And so we're all kind of watching and waiting and hoping that, you know, it won't lead to the, the kinds of hospital surges that other variants have characterized. But I think it's inevitable. It, it, it will lead to a surge in cases probably a surge in hospitalizations and deaths. And the question is, how big? And will they overwhelm healthcare systems? And I think those are questions that we are going to get on to trying to answer as best as we can. First off, with you mentioned the speed with which it's spreading. And that's one of the really, really big alarm bells here. I think on the last count, the WHO said that it's now been detected in 63 countries, and that's steadily rising. How fast is Omicron spreading? Can you put it in the context of other variants? Yes, we measure the spread in a number of different ways. Maybe just thinking about the situation in southern Africa where it was identified and where we first you know, got a sense of its explosive growth, 
they were in a bit of a lull. Cases due to Delta were, were on the decline. And suddenly you saw this kind of explosive growth in cases coincident with the emergence of Omicron. And researchers have estimated that, you know, during the same period of time, Omicron can infect several times more people than Delta. So it's, it's spreading several times faster than Delta. Now that, you know, Omicron has established itself elsewhere and, you know, continue to grow in South Africa, we're getting more precise estimates. In the UK, yesterday, there were estimates that cases are doubling every two days, which is, you know, a rate of growth that we really have not seen since the beginning of the pandemic. And even then, maybe not so fast. So it's spreading like wildfire. You know, I'd, I'd repeat the places that aren't finding it probably aren't looking for it. Absolutely. I mean, one thing that has been raised is that it's possible that we're finding a lot of Omicron because we're looking for it now. But that doesn't negate the fact that it is still spreading very, very quickly. Yeah, there can be a sampling bias, especially when you're looking for a new variant. But I think I think we've established now the fact that Omicron is spreading like it is, you know, not just in, in one province in South Africa, but all of South Africa, not just in one European country like the UK doing lots of sequencing, but multiple European countries are doing lots of sequencing. So we're seeing the same patterns play out globally, which suggests that this variant has a real and significant growth advantage compared to Delta, which already had a really big growth advantage compared to Alpha. And I think I want to get on to, you know, some of the reasons why this massive growth might be happening in a moment. But before before I do, one thing that's been said lots of times and why we've delayed talking about Omicron is that we need to wait for more data to come in. And you just touched on some of the kind of core reasons why there, which is that quite often you want to have data from multiple sources to compare and see if the same patterns play out to work out if that's actually indicative of the properties of the virus or just indicative of the specific area that you're measuring in. And that's the kinds of data that are starting to come in that are giving us a little bit more of a grasp on, on what Omicron really looks like. That's right. So if you see the same, same thing play out in, in multiple locations, you can you can be pretty sure that this this variant has some sort of intrinsic advantage, you know, especially in a situation like, you know, South Africa was in before Omicron, where you had small numbers of cases. Um, you can be in a situation where, you know, super spreading events contributed to outsized effects. And once those kind of effects wash away, maybe something that looked super transmissible doesn't look as transmissible. Unfortunately, we're not in that situation. Okay, so one really, really big question is whether or not Omicron can overcome immunity. Now, that could be immunity that's vaccine derived. It could be immunity that's as a result of natural infection. And we are starting to get good hints now of what the answer to that question might be from epidemiological studies, but also from laboratory experiments. Tell us, where are we with that at the moment? Yeah, I mean, people are kind of looking at this on a number of different planks. And I mean, I'll start with the most theoretical one, really. And if you just look at like, Omicron's behavior, it's spreading, you know, several times faster than Delta in lots of countries in in countries that have high vaccination rates like the UK, in countries like South Africa that might not have very high vaccination rates, but they probably had very high prior infection rates. So there was a lot of immunity in the population. So in these contexts, Omicron is spreading really, really well. And, you know, researchers have told me that one likely explanation for that is that Omicron is able to infect people who had immunity to Delta and to other variants. So the pool of susceptible individuals is much larger for Omicron compared to other variants, particularly Delta circulating. So that's, if you just look at how Omicron's spreading these places, that's the conclusion you kind of come to. But now people have, you're right, people have kind of started to measure more directly Omicron's ability to evade immunity. And we've seen some laboratory experiments looking at antibodies in people's blood 
and finding that antibodies raised by either prior infection or by vaccination do a far worse job sticking onto Omicron and, and preventing infection in cells in a laboratory than against other variants, including Delta. So Omicron has changed itself sufficiently so our antibodies can't see it as well. And we think our antibodies seeing a virus is really important to its response. And you're right, you know, the third plank is, you know, we're starting to see epidemiological studies where we're looking at people either who had recovered from COVID and had some immunity then, or had gotten one, two, even three vaccine doses and seeing vaccination protection significantly compromised by Omicron. The UK's public health authority estimated that, you know, if we're just looking at protection against just any kind of symptomatic infection, two doses of vaccines are offering very little protection, maybe 30% for Pfizer, up to 10 for AstraZeneca. Notably, a third dose, at least in the few weeks after the third dose, seems to restore protection uh, to a much higher level, you know, in the 70s. So, yeah, I mean, we're seeing a lot of evidence kind of stacking up that Omicron is evading immunity. Right. So, so far, we're not seeing that protection from natural infection or from vaccines is completely disappearing, but we are seeing significant reductions. However, we do also see that a booster jab seems to make a big difference, at least when it comes to protecting from infection with Omicron in the first place. Yes, I should have added, you know, there's a caveat with that. When I said the AstraZeneca vaccine was 10% effective or zero or whatever it is, we're talking about when you measure its effectiveness at preventing any sort of symptomatic infection. Whereas what we really care most about and what's really going to determine how we deal with Omicron is how well vaccines and, and prior infection or the combination of the two prevent against severe disease or, or hospitalization. That's why we have lockdowns. That's why we take these stringent measures. I'm afraid to say that eventually we're all going to get infected with SARS-CoV-2 sooner or later. And what we really care about is how many you know, people it puts in hospital, death, disability, etc. So that's what we're, we're rushing and waiting to find out is you know, how well uh, our vaccine's going to protect against severe disease. We think it'll be much higher uh, than just any infection. You know, that's basically kind of how, how the vaccines have worked against other variants, where they've taken a little bit of a hit in their ability to block infection, but they're still keeping people out of hospital. So we hope, we really, really hope that it, it's going to be pretty high for Omicron. And, you know, we're seeing some early estimates that that, that is the case and just released data from South Africa and, you know, we're going to see a lot more of that in the coming days and weeks. Absolutely. And that takes us on to one of the other really key questions that scientists want to ask, which is about the severity of Omicron compared to other variants. This really isn't an easy question to answer, especially early on. What can be done to work out how severe Omicron might be? Because there is early data, as you say, coming from South Africa, but that's not very easy data to pass, especially at the beginning. Yeah, and I think we have to be really careful about what we mean when we say severity, right? You know, people are kind of banding this word about, and it's not really clear what we're talking about because there's this assertion of this notion that infections, you know, as they evolve, they get milder because it's not in the virus interest to kill its host. That's poppycock. You know, SARS-CoV-2 spreads just fine when people don't have symptoms and doesn't really matter, you know, what happens after they've transmitted but I guess when we are thinking about severity, there are a couple of different ways of looking at it. I think one of the most important ways will be like how well does vaccination or previous infection or the combination of the two protect against severe disease or hospitalization. And it's quite difficult to make the comparison with prior variants in, in that because you're kind of sampling the situation at one point in time 
you know, say South Africa now and comparing during the Delta wave a, a few months ago. So it's kind of an apples and oranges comparison. And then at the same time, you have these other studies going on where, so right now in the UK, people are being admitted to hospital, both with Omicron and with Delta infection. And people are going to be doing these very, very careful case control studies, trying to find similar people admitted you know, to the same hospital, ideally, or the same hospital trust, and comparing you know, how, the, how they fare uh, in hospital, you know, depending on, on the variant. And through those sorts of studies, we established that Alpha was a bit more uh, severe than the variants that came before it. Delta was a bit more severe still than Alpha. So with Omicron, we don't know. Again, the early signs are that it's leading to less severity than earlier waves in, in South Africa, that people have less of a need for supplemental oxygen. They're staying less in hospital but that doesn't mean the, the virus is evolving to be less severe. It could just be larger population immunity that's behind those effects. And another challenge is that we're doing this kind of early on in the wave. And there is this lag between infections and hospitalization and death. So it'll take us some weeks to really get a clearer picture. And especially if in South Africa, the case was that Omicron started spreading in, in younger populations, there you have to look at lots and lots of infections to get just one hospitalization. So, you know, you need to wait until, you know, it's spreading in, in at-risk populations. So it, it just takes time to really get a clear read. And the conclusions are going to be not clear cut. And I think I think we'll just know from almost anecdotal experience, you know, just seeing whether this is driving a significant surge in, in, in hospitalizations and, and deaths. You know, I think I think that'll be the ultimate arbiter and the ultimate determinant of the measures that, that need to be taken, rather than, you know, some percentage calculated early on uh, in kind of the haze of the pandemic or the haze of Omicron, which we find ourselves in now. Sorry, it was a long answer. It's complicated is the short answer. Yeah, I mean, and one thing that in order to get to that place, one thing that we need to do now and that scientists have been doing quickly is to try to test and track Omicron as much as possible. And that's something that scientists are able to do. Tell us about how Omicron is being tracked, the spread of Omicron is being tracked. I mean, there are a couple ways it's being tracked. I mean, the ultimate best way to track it is to sequence its genome. It's got a lot of mutations or, or changes, particularly to the spike protein that's critical for infection and the prime target of immunity. You know, so through genome sequencing, we can identify cases of Omicron. Um, but that takes time. And people have been using another kind of faster test that is picked up by some PCR tests, so just regular tests for, for infection. There's just kind of a, a telltale sign that can distinguish Omicron from Delta. The same was true with the Alpha variant. So we can, in some PCR tests, very quickly identify a test that is indicative of Omicron and, and use that to get a quicker pulse on its spread. I know the UK is, is doing this. Other countries such as Denmark are as well. Some countries are a little bit lagging behind. They probably should speed up. Now, we're going to get on in a minute to some of the questions that listeners to Chronopod have sent in. We've had quite a lot. But before that, I'm just curious, you've been speaking to scientists quite urgently about this for a while. What's the general feeling among scientists? Are they concerned? Are they holding out until they know more? I mean, what's the kind of feeling you're getting back from the research community? It really depends. Some people I speak with, it's almost kind of this fatalistic view that even if in the Omicron wave, people are less likely to be hospitalized because of immunity and their hospitalizations end up better, we're going to see such a tsunami of infections that cancels out any easing in severity. 
So that's, you know, I think a lot of people are really worried about that. On the other hand, you know, we're seeing that the boosters seem to do a good job protecting against infection, which means they maybe they'll protect against transmission for a little while. And so maybe, you know, countries that are really ramping up boosters like Israel and the UK and maybe the US, that can help bring it under control in addition to, you know, protecting people. Because anything that can bring down the number of cases of this Omicron wave is a good thing. I mean, I think everyone's just kind of holding their breath. You know, I, I spoke with a vaccinologist in, in South Africa and, you know, he, he described it as, you know, we, th- we hope we're seeing an unhinging of cases and significant consequences of cases, you know, death, disability, etc. And so, you know, we're hoping to see that. But will we see it enough to prevent our hospitals from being overwhelmed? We don't know. Indeed. And we also are yet to see what Omicron might do in countries that have incredibly low vaccination density or perhaps countries that haven't had a particularly heavy burden of infection so far, given how quickly Omicron appears to be spreading. But I mean, these are all questions that we're going to have to wait and see the answers to. Yeah. And in those countries, Delta might have the edge. It's always possible. You know, we don't really know. I mean, Omicron, we think, is is being successful because it can reinfect people who were immune to Delta. But if not a lot of your population is immune to Delta, then you have these viruses kind of competing in a way. So we might see different dynamics play out in different parts of the world. Indeed, in that property of Omicron, the ability to infect people who had some prior immunity, either by natural infection or vaccination, was the thing that many, many scientists were warning might happen if we ended up with lots of places with very low vaccine density and lots of spreading of the virus, lots of opportunities for mutations. Is Omicron the variant that people are warning about? Or is that not something that we can really say? It's hard to say. I'd break that up and and say that vaccines should have been delivered more equitably and we should seek equity in in vaccine rollout worldwide for completely unself-interested purposes because it's the right thing to do. It's a very complicated question to answer whether lack of vaccine rollouts to the world led to emergence of, of Omicron. You know, we always expected that we would see variants start to chip away at immunity because that's how this virus is going to stay fit. You know, influenza causes epidemics, not by becoming, you know, more transmissible. It evolves to evade immunity and infect people who were, you know, immune to earlier circulating strains of influenza. So in that way, we expected SARS-CoV-2 to start infecting people who were immune. My reading of it is that the shift between Delta and Omicron was quite substantial. It wasn't just this kind of chipping away at immunity. It seems to have been, at least for immunity against infection and transmission, a really significant step change. Okay, so I'm going to get on now to a couple of questions that have been sent in to us. There have been a lot, and we're going to try to answer at least a few of them now. I should say beforehand that they've been coming in so quickly, I haven't had time to ask permission to mention the listeners' names, and so I won't mention them. But hopefully, if you recognise your question, you'll know that this is the answer we're trying to give you. So firstly, we've had a question about genetic changes in Omicron. So this is something that was mentioned very, very early on, the sort of really drastic number of mutations that were seen in the spike protein or in the part of the genome that codes for the spike protein. Now, this listener has referenced these nucleotide changes and mentioned that it's driven speculation on the origin of the variant. I was wondering if the sheer number of mutations we're seeing was a surprise to scientists and what that might tell us about the origins of Omicron. I think what the surprise was, is that 
We were in this situation where, you know, Delta was becoming the dominant variant everywhere we were looking, which maybe tells you something about where we were looking. And and I was reporting a feature kind of on the future of the virus um, right before the emergence of Omicron. I think pretty much everyone expected that it would be a descendant of Delta that would start behaving like Omicron, start evading vaccines a little bit more and a little bit more, but we'd be living in a Delta world. But that didn't turn out to be the case at all. Omicron comes from a distinct branch of the SARS-CoV-2 family tree. And we don't really know exactly which branch it comes from because of how many changes it has and because of you know lack of sampling in Africa, where we think it's likely to have been circulating prior to, to really kicking off when we picked it up. That's not by any means certain, but we weren't sampling all of the SARS-CoV-2 diversity. And so it's hard to figure out where Omicron fits on the family tree. I mean, that, that's one thing. And, you know, there are a couple of hypotheses about its origin to explain why it seems to have come out of nowhere. The leading hypothesis, I think, is that it came from an individual with a long-term infection or maybe a chain of infections. You know, there's a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of people living with untreated HIV infections. And researchers have shown that in individuals with untreated HIV, they can develop these long-term SARS-CoV-2 infections. And some of the mutations like those seen in Omicron can unfortunately develop in these individuals. So that's, that's one possibility. And probably the leading one is that Omicron was in one individual evolving for, for quite some time, you know, weeks to months before spreading through a community, maybe picking up more changes and becoming the beast that it seems to be. Another hypothesis people are kicking about is that maybe we didn't see Omicron because it was spreading in some animal reservoir. You know, it contains some changes, one in particular in the spike protein that we know allows it to infect rodents and maybe some other animals. And so it's entirely possible that it was spreading in an animal, though it seems to be awfully well adapted to humans. So that's been one knock against that hypothesis. But to be honest, we really, really don't know. You know, people have estimated that shared an ancestor with the last sampled isolate, we know, more than a year ago. So there's a lot of missing evolution. And people will be going back, I think, to sources, repositories, if they can find cousins and siblings of, of Omicron, just to get some better understanding on its evolution. So next up, we have another listener who's asked about antibody responses. So they've mentioned a report they saw on Norwegian television in which an immunologist suggested that exposure to new variants like Omicron can provide opportunities for your antibodies to mutate and become stronger. He even suggested that this could possibly bring the pandemic to an end. I know that you and I have actually discussed the maturing of antibodies on Coronapod before. What can you tell us about how exposure to new variants can impact our antibody response? And is this likely to to help with exposure to new variants in the future? Oh, this is a cutting edge question that immunologists are asking themselves right now. How does our prior exposure to different variants, both in vaccines and in infection, influence our immune response to current and future variants? We really, really don't know the answer to that question. But I guess there could be a couple of things going on. I mean, the first one is this process that we talked about that antibodies go through called maturation. Basically, what happens is the first time your immune system sees, say, a virus or, or a bit of a virus that an antibody targets called an antigen, it remembers it, but the antibody's ability to bind the virus might not be super strong. 
But continued exposure, even if just, you know, bits of virus or bits of vaccine are, are staying around in your body as they tend to do, you get this process called maturation. So your antibody making B cells go through an evolutionary process that helps them bind better. And another dose of vaccine or an infection gives you another exposure to those viral antigens and that helps them evolve to bind still better. And so, you know, it's possible that exposure to Omicron will lead, and maybe it seems really likely, will lead to continued maturation of our antibodies. But I guess, you know, there might be another thing going on in that, you know, Omicron is defined by these mutations to, to sites that antibodies recognize. So another thing that is likely to happen is that you might get a new population of antibody-making cells that make antibodies that recognize the parts of Omicron that our old antibodies don't recognize as well. And so you could have in your body circulating antibodies that recognize older versions of SARS-CoV-2 really, really well in Omicron okay, and some antibodies that recognize Omicron really, really well, but maybe they haven't yet gone through this maturation process, so there's potential to recognize it even better. And you'd hope that, you know, the synergy of these different sorts of responses might provide some robustness to to variants of of the future. And that's, you know, one of the really big open questions is like, can we have a robust immune response that kind of boxes the virus into a corner in some ways that it can't mutate its way out of. People have told me that there are some parts of the virus that that might behave that way, but then there are other parts of the virus that it can always change and shape shift. And so it'll always, you know, be able to evade some of our immune responses. But it's possible that we could somewhat constrain or slow the virus's ability to change by being exposed to different variants, either through vaccination, with updated vaccines, or, or by infection, unfortunately you know, with variants like Omicron. It's an open question, but I would never under underestimate viral evolution, as people have told me. So I guess we'll have to watch and wait. I think one other thing we could mention is that we've talked a lot about antibody responses and how they may develop, but there are still also other parts of the immune system that we still don't have a really clear understanding of how they might respond to variants like Omicron T-cells, for example. And there is ongoing research into those as well to work out what protection might be afforded by those parts of the immune system. Oh, yeah, for sure. Preliminary studies have been done out saying that some of Omicron's changes seem to scramble some of the parts of the virus that T-cells recognize, but by no means a substantial portion of them. So our our T-cell immunity should be pretty well maintained against Omicron. And, you know, we have other sorts of, of immunity and even antibodies that don't block the virus from infecting cells and don't bind strongly enough, you know, maybe to do that can still be really helpful to an immune response, you know, kind of death by a thousand paper cuts sort of thing is, is what we're, we're working on here. So yeah, it's not going to evade all our immunity. And hopefully what's what's left will keep people out of hospital. Okay, we've got another question here, which is specifically about lockdowns. And the listener is asked about the possibility of repeated lockdowns, sort of five years worth of global lockdown, unlockdown, lockdown, unlockdown, and so on. And it, you know, it's not surprising that public health responses to new variants and new outbreaks are incredibly important to people and to the pandemic. As variants keep emerging, what can you tell us about the possibilities from a public health perspective of lockdowns, other restrictions and so on? Is there a kind of a, a consensus among scientists about what the right way forward is? I might have to go with the, the response that scientists go with here is that that's a political question and not a scientific one. But 
I guess what I would say is that the lockdowns that we've seen, and lockdown is, is kind of a, a rather brute word to describe a, a whole range of measures, right? One should probably be specific when they're talking about these sorts of things, but we don't have time for that. But, you know, they're implemented to keep health, health systems from, from being overwhelmed. And so, you know, I was reading, I think it was in an article in Science on Omicron, saying is that, you know, when we see a significant wave and we're not seeing healthcare systems overwhelmed, that's when we know we're living with the virus. People are pretty confident that we're going to get to that level and, you know, hoping that Omicron is, is kind of the last, uh, last major surge. But we, we just don't know. And at some point, the world is going to have to decide how it wants to live with this virus. And I guess it's going to have to decide, you know, the level of death, disability and disruption that's acceptable, that's caused by the virus, you know, and the level of death, disability and disruption that stopping the virus that they're comfortable with. Right. Because there are costs to lockdowns. And I think, you know, society is going to have to balance the costs and, and, and the benefits and reach a conclusion about how it's going to live with this virus. But I, th- I think most biologists, most, most researchers, you know, expect we're going to see this is going to become another established respiratory virus. You know, it's going to cause epidemics, some bigger than others, until we have technologies that maybe can diminish them to the point where they're not a problem. Um, you know, things like universal coronavirus vaccines or, or something like that. But you know, this virus is going to be with us for a while and we'll probably deal with it like we do other viruses. Indeed. I mean, such as influenza, for example, which is something that has been endemic for some time now. And there are ways to deal with that. And we'll cross that bridge, I suppose, when we come to it. Um, the question is, when we come to it. Yeah, I- exactly. My hunch is that the, the main calculus for SARS-CoV-2 going forward is going to be how quickly we update vaccines to keep up with the virus, whether it's just this once or, you know, it's going to be every two years, every three years, every five years. We we still don't really know the answer to that question. But I think that's going to be the main way that the world responds to this virus in the future, I would suspect. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong and maybe mask wearing in the winter will become a lot more common in Western countries during respiratory virus season. It's already quite common um, in some Asian countries. You know, I, I really don't know. I'm not sure it's my place to <laughs> predict this, but here I have. Indeed. So we've had a lot more questions, but I think I'm going to rattle through a couple of them now because there are things that we really aren't in a place to answer yet. Part of the reason that we've delayed this coronapod is because we need time. And for some of these questions, I don't think we've had enough time to give clear and evidence-based answers on. So for example, we've received several questions about increased paediatric hospital admissions. So that's early data that people are arguing suggests that perhaps Omicron might lead to more infections or more severe disease in younger people, children, for example. But it's a very hard thing to conclude at this stage. And one scientist that that Nature's spoken to has pointed out that similar reports came out with Delta, and then that didn't really go anywhere. Early on in infections, it can be really, really hard to, to make good conclusions from what is relatively small amounts of data, and sort of small effects can be amplified quite significantly. So at this point, I don't really feel like we're in a place where we can answer any questions about paediatric disease with Omicron yet. But it's something that will be looked into, I'm sure. It's, of course, incredibly important to a lot of people. We also had lots of questions about severity. And as we've mentioned, we know as much as we know about severity. But another scientist has told Nature that that's likely to be one of the last things we properly understand, much again like Delta, because you need time to see how these things play out to be able to get those measures of severity, as you were describing earlier on, Ewan. And then we've also had lots of questions about Omicron and long COVID. 
Now, that's a particularly difficult one to answer for lots and lots of reasons. For one thing, long COVID is incredibly poorly defined, but most definitions do require people to have had symptoms for four weeks or longer before they would start defining those symptoms as long COVID. And although it does look like Omicron might have been circulating for longer than four weeks, we're not really in a place yet where there's enough data to make any clear assessments of of how Omicron might interact with long COVID. But that certainly is going to be something people are going to be looking at for quite a long time. And if people want to hear more about long COVID, then Heidi and I did speak about that on last week's Coronapod. I'll put a link in the show notes so that you can see where to find that and hear a little bit more about the difficulties of studying long COVID. But for now, I think we've exhausted almost all of the questions we've had about Omicron. And you and I know you and I have talked for quite a long time now. Thank you so much for joining me. I have a feeling I might be asking you more questions about Omicron as time moves on. But for now, thank you. And I hope you have a good day. You too. Thanks. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.